In your Bible, the book of Luke, chapter number 13 this morning, Luke 13. As we continue, I'm preaching through the book of Luke. I think this is message 35 or 6 so far. And if you would stand to your feet with me as soon as you find the passage, we will read from God's Word together. Luke 13 and 1. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Do you think that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Thank you, and you may be seated. And the message this morning is repentance, an essential element of our salvation. Repentance, an essential element of salvation. Now, the setting of this passage of Scripture was like this, that the people were listening to the Lord Jesus Christ teach and preach, and they asked him a question, and the question involved two local news events that had occurred there during his life and ministry. And their question was essentially this at bottom line, are natural disasters, accidents, catastrophes, tragedies that happen in society, are they a result of sin? Are those events evidences of God's judgment upon the victims of those? And so Luke chapter 13 here in verse 1, it describes a group of people who came down from Galilee, the home area of the Lord Jesus Christ, And they came down to worship at the temple and offer their sacrifices. And when they were offering in the very act of worship, in the act of offering their sacrifices, Pilate sent a contingent of his soldiers into the temple. And they murdered these people. In fact, the way it describes it is they they mingled their blood with their sacrifice. They were cruelly and uh, horribly murdered as they worshiped Almighty God. Now, there's strong evidence. We know this happened from outside sources. The great Jewish historian Josephus wrote what was called Josephus Antiquities, and he tells about the ancient Jews, and it's it's the most reliable history we have of that point in history. And Josephus, in his book, volume number 18 and number 4, the chapter number 4, So we know specifically that this was referred to in current literature. And these people were murdered by this tyrant, Pilate. We don't know what precipitated or motivated it, but we know that it happened. And then you go down to verse 4, and there's another current event happening right there at that time. And that event was that 18 people who had been working on a construction project, and they had been building a tower near the pool of Siloam in the city of Jerusalem. And apparently the tower, the construction collapsed, and 18 of those people died in what we would call today an industrial accident. 
It was not perpetrated by anybody like the other one by a pilot. These people are simply working on their job on a construction site, and the thing collapses and people are killed. And somebody said to Jesus, did these people die because of their sin? And Jesus' answer was, no, absolutely not. These people were no different than the people who survived. And his way of saying it, if you will notice there, is, do you suppose that they were sinners above all the other Galileans in verse 2 because they suffered from this accident? He repeats it again in verse 4. Do you think the people that died when the tower fell, do you think they were sinners above all the other people, the rest of the population living in Jerusalem at that time? And Jesus says both times unequivocally, no, no, no. Now, you've heard that same type thing right here in current uh, uh, society. So something will happen, and sometimes you'll hear a person talk about it like this. I wonder what that person did, or I wonder was that the judgment of God? Was that the wrath of God? I heard people say something like that. Well, when the 9-11 occurred and the Twin Towers fell, I heard somebody say, well, maybe that's God's judgment on America. No, 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 no. When God's judgment comes on America, you're not going to have any trouble figuring it out. I promise you that. And he's not going to pick on a few select people in order to, to, to show his, his judgment, of course. So Jesus said in both cases, do you think that these people who died were worse than the people who survived? And what he's really saying is people are not necessarily great sinners because bad things happen to them. He wasn't saying that at all. He said in both cases, though, he turned it around and he said, I say unto you, except you repent, then you shall all likewise perish. Except you repent, you will perish, and all of us will perish. So Jesus absolutely said repentance is a necessity. Repentance is an absolute necessity for every person. Last week in our own country in San Jose, California, a very wicked man walked into a railroad uh, depot or section there, and he began to shoot people, and he killed eight people. Some of them, is, I read the account, and it was, he, he would recognize a person he'd worked with, and he'd say, don't worry, I'm not going to bother you. I like you. But then he'd find another person he'd had a disagreement with, he didn't like them, and he would, he would gun them down. Now, one of those, the person who got gunned down and the person who was not gunned down, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with their moral or their spiritual life. This perpetrator had hatred in his heart toward these people, and we have the same type of event that occurred right here in our country, that natural disasters and crimes and accidents and catastrophes are not necessarily the result of a person's sin. Now, Jesus, though, emphasized here in verse 3 and again in verse 5, twice he said the same thing. When he repeats something, it's because it's very, very important that we get hold of it. And what he said was, except you repent, you shall all 
survivors and victims, you shall all likewise perish. Repentance, I believe today, is the missing element in so much of the preaching and teaching in Christian churches. Some people I've heard through the years say, I don't believe we ought to talk about repentance in terms of salvation because you're teaching people to work for their salvation. Repentance is a work. Absolutely not. That person doesn't understand the biblical definition of repentance. Repentance is not a work. Repentance is an attitude, an attitude toward God. I've heard other people say, well, you don't need to stress repentance because if somebody believes the gospel, they've already repented. It's included in that. That's not true because the Bible separates them, as I will show you momentarily. Other people have said, and this is very common among preachers, you know, I don't know that we need to emphasize repentance to people because the Gospel of John is the one book of the Bible that the whole purpose of it being written was to teach people how to believe in Jesus Christ. In John 20, 31, it says that these things are written that you might believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. The book of John is the one book in the Bible that was written in order for people to know how to be saved. And it states that. It says that there in 2031. And so if you're talking to somebody about salvation and they don't seem to understand, then urge them to read the book of John. I, I've told people, read the book, go home and read the book of John three times. And when you've done that, if you will read it thoughtfully and prayerfully, I promise you, you'll understand salvation. The one book that the, it says itself that it's written in order for people to believe. But interestingly, the word repentance is not even in the book of John. So is it really necessary to our salvation? Is it as important as Jesus seems to say that it is right here? Well, look at verse 3 again. And let's just take the words that they're simple dictionary definitions. And Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And in verse 5, he says it again, except you repent, you shall all, double A-double-L, all, all perish. But that's not the only time that Jesus stressed this. And so I go to the book of Mark, chapter 1, and it begins to describe the ministry of the Lord Jesus himself. And here's what it says, that Jesus came preaching, and he said, repent and believe the gospel. You see, he didn't include repentance in the gospel. He separated repentance from the gospel. Repent and believe, or put your faith in the gospel. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, by the way, earlier he had said all are to repent, and repentance is a very important practice for Christians. If you're a serious Christian, you are finding things in your life and in your mind to repent of every single day of your life. You say to me, do you repent? Every day. Every time I pray, I ask God, to help me with my sin issue that's a part of my nature 
that I cannot avoid or escape until the day that he glorifies me as his saint. Yes, but on the other hand, especially there is an emphasis in the New Testament on unsaved people repenting in order to believe the gospel of Christ. The repentance always occurs first. And Jesus said, I'm, my mission on earth is not to just talk to the righteous people. I came not to call those righteous people, but sinners, those outside of the household of faith. I came to call them to repentance. In Luke 15 and 7, Jesus said, describing salvation, joy shall be in heaven, more joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth than over uh, 90 and 9 that need no repentance. So the theme of repentance ran strongly through all the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ. If you want to hear preaching like Jesus Christ preached, then you're going to have to deal with the issue of repentance. But he was not the only one. I think of the message of Peter, Acts 3 and 19. And he stood before a crowd of people after he'd healed that lame man at the temple. The temple's full of people. And Peter begins to speak to them and listen to what he says. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out. That your sins be blotted out. Repentance is necessary for that. The Apostle Paul, Acts 17 and 30. Paul preached, now God commands all men everywhere to repent. When did he say that? He said that in Athens, Greece. He was on Mars Hill, and he was surrounded by the intellectuals, by the elites of ancient Greece, the philosophers, the wise men, the brilliant, brilliant people, the philosophers that today people still read. And Paul is preaching to them, do you think he's going to cut his message? Do you think he's going to back up and soft pedal it because he's in front of a bunch of intellectuals that are famous people? No way. And Paul said the most inclusive statement that a person could say about repentance. What did he say? He said, I preach repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and that God commands all men everywhere. Pretty inclusive, huh? All men everywhere. And what does God command them to do? He commands them to repent. Now, the previous generations of preachers preached a lot different than preachers preach today. And uh, to be honest, I try to be more influenced by those preachers than, uh, than I do by the contemporary preachers of our day. And the reason I do is you can read one page of Charles Spurgeon, and there's more content, more doctrine, more thought than reading a whole book that you can buy in a bookstore somewhere today. Those old men were men of deep thought. Some of those Puritan preachers, those old Baptist preachers, those old Methodist preachers, Man, they knew God's Word, and they preached it with courage, and they, they were not tiptoeing through the tithers. They were absolutely fearless men who stood there and had one thing in mind, and that was to please Almighty God with their words. And so they preached, and they got criticized for it, 
And you'll hear people even today criticizing preachers. And they'll say something that, like this. They're trying to scare people into, he- into heaven. They're trying to scare people out of hell. Boy, I wish I could. I'll tell you, if I could scare here, any, if I could scare anybody into heaven this morning, boy, I promise you, I'd be working on it right now. I, but I can't scare anybody into heaven. That's, that's absurd to think you could. People don't go to heaven because they get scared. They go to heaven because of the cross that towers over all of history that we just heard sung about. People are not saved because of fear. And sometimes fear makes people wake up and think about their soul. And, it, and nowhere do we find the Lord Jesus Christ stroking the people when they came to church to make them feel good about their wickedness and their sins. And so those old preachers, they were criticized because they were too heavy on judgment, so people said. They were too heavy on hell, so people said. Were they? When Jesus Christ says, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Charles Spurgeon had a famous, famous sermon. Be turning in your Bible to Psalms, and I'll show you a little bit of how they dealt with repentance. And go to Psalm number 7 in your Bible, if you will, this morning. Spurgeon, the most famous of all the old preachers, I guess, pastored in downtown London, England, preached to great, great multitudes, tens of thousands of people every Sunday. His books went around the world. Do you know that Charles Spurgeon's sermons right now are read as much as any preacher, any contemporary preacher? That even today, 180 years later, people still admire him as the prince of preachers. And Spurgeon had a sermon based on Psalm 7 and 11 that was his most famous sermon. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day, if he turn not. Notice the phrase, if he turn not. He's talking about repentance, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. If he turn not, he will whet his sword. God will whet his sword. And God hath bent his bow and made it ready. So if the person who is living a wicked life doesn't turn, doesn't repent, do you know what the name of Spurgeon's sermon was? Turn or burn. (laughs) If I advertised that, I don't know how many of you would have come this morning. Because people today don't want to hear sermons with that kind of seriousness about their sin. And that's Spurgeon's most famous sermon. The pendulum has swung so far today, I promise you, you can go to church for five years and never hear a sermon on hell or the judgment of God in many places in America today. And as a consequence, we have this thing we call it easy believism. We don't even talk about people being under conviction of their sins. We just say to them, just believe the gospel. Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Do you believe that? Yeah, okay, pray this prayer. You're saved. Oh, my soul, we've loaded up our churches with people that don't, don't know God from a banjo because we've used that. In our zeal to try to win people of the Lord, 
We've over-responded and we've left out the fact, why would you want to go to Christ? Why would you even want to approach the cross until you feel your need of him, until you have changed your mind, received him as your Lord and your Savior? Let me give you a clear definition of repentance. From the Greek word metanoia, and I don't like to use Greek words. We don't have very many Greeks that go to our church. But I want you to understand your Bible was translated from this, and, and the original text said metanoia. Two words, meta, M-E-T-A, meaning after, and nous, N-O-U-S, meaning mind. After mind. What is repentance? It's a change of mind. After you've thought about something, you change your opinion, you change your attitude. Repentance is a change of mind. That's all it is. Repentance is not the gospel. Repentance is changing your mind and your attitude toward God and the things of God. In fact, it's specifically a change of mind about three things. Now, I hope you'll get this. Don't walk away and miss this. Listen to me. Your whole soul could depend upon this, my friend. Is that important to you? I know it is. Don't, 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 take, don't trivialize what I'm saying and just say, oh, another sermon by another preacher. Repentance is a change of mind first about sin. A change of mind about your sin. In Psalm 51, David has sinned. He's stolen a man's wife. He's committed adultery. He's lied about it. He's conspired to get the husband killed. He's done about everything bad that you can do. He has sinned in so many ways. And now he's repenting. And if you want to read the best chapter in the Bible regarding repentance, it's Psalm 5 1, Psalm 51. He's down on his knees. He's groveling. He is so depressed, and he, is, he feels so bad about what he's done. And here's what he says in Psalm 51.3, I acknowledge my transgressions. I'm not debating whether or not I've done wrong. I admit to it. And my sin is ever before me. I can't even think about anything else. It's, so, it, it's bearing down upon me so. The Amplified Translation of the Bible, which gives you the definitions of these words, includes in the definition of this verse, it says, I acknowledge my transgressions and I have an abhorrence of sin. In other words, he had come to hate the very sin that he had committed. He understood, listen to me, Dear friend of mine, I'm trying to help you today. Do you understand? But your sin offends God. And we miss that in American evangelical Christianity. We think about our relationship to the church. Your sin might hurt the church, but it doesn't offend the church. It's not the, the one thing above all that you've got to be concerned about with your sin is this. My sin has offended Almighty God. He's the one who is upset about it because he's a God of holiness. He is a God of such 
purity, the Bible says, he cannot bear to look upon sin in the book of Habakkuk and Haggai. My sin is an affront to God, and therefore it is a serious matter what God thinks of my sin. But it's not only a change of mind about my sin, but repentance is a change of mind about myself. Repentance means I give up on trying to do anything to save myself. I give up on any attempts to please God through human effort or my own efforts, through any kind of good works. And that's why I say to the person who says, repentance is a human work. No, repentance is a change of mind. Now, it may lead to a change of effort, but it's not a change. It is not a work. Repentance means that I accept the Bible's assessment of myself as being true, that I'm helpless. I cannot save myself. I cannot do anything to win the favor of God apart from the cross, a change of mind about myself. You know, if I were going to get somebody to write about repentance, I'd find a really bad, bad, bad person who had changed. But that's not what God did. In the book of Job, he picks out, he says, the best man who was alive upon the earth at that point in time. And he writes about his change of mind as God works in his life for 41 chapters. And then in chapter 42 of the book of Job, here's what Job said. I was the most righteous man on the earth, but I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. The best man. Except you repent, you shall all perish. Best men and worst men. So what is repentance? It's a complete change of mind and attitude about sin, about self, and thirdly, about the Savior. And so then I turn to the cross. Once I have that change of mind, then the gospel is going to mean something to me. The gospel is going to become my lifeline. Man, I'm holding on to that. I cease to be an admirer of Jesus Christ. I read this week in a book where it said that so many people in evangelical Christianity are simply admirers of Jesus Christ. They admire him like they do a great historical figure or someone like that, but they don't love him. He's not the center of their life. They can go a whole day and not think about him. And so repentance changes my mind about the Savior. I just don't admire him. I need him to be my Lord, my Savior. Without him, I am sunk Now, I want to ask you the question, is Jesus really central in your life, or is he peripheral, way out there on the margins that you can go a day or two and not even hardly give him a thought? Oh, no, no. Repentance changes your mind and makes him precious to you, dear to you, the one, the lover of your soul, the one who is most important of anybody in the whole world to you. Don't confuse repentance with other things. People often do. First of all, they repent. They, they confuse it with penitence, penitence. Penitence is when you feel sorry for your sin. 
you feel guilty about it. You regret your sin. You, 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 you have remorse. You wish you could go back and, and live the day again and not commit the sin. That's penitence. You remember Martin Luther was full of penitence and penance when he was saved. The Bible has a great illustration of a person who was penitent but not repentant, and his name is Judas. And you know about him, what he did to the Lord, betraying our Savior. And then the Bible says he's so full of sorrow. He is so depressed. He's so full of regret and remorse. He takes the money that he got and took it back to the temple and threw it on the floor and scattered it all over the place in front of the Pharisees. And then he went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide. He wasn't repentant. He didn't change his mind. What he did was he felt guilt over his sin. Now, when the Holy Spirit applies the truth of the Word of God, penitence is the result. There is a conviction of sin, but it, but it doesn't stop there. It leads us on to the gospel every single time. Godly sorrow, Paul said, worketh repentance, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Don't confuse repentance with penitence. And don't, re, don't confuse repentance with penance. That's an effort to atone for your sin, your sins against God or someone else. And that was Martin Luther. He was climbing the steps of the basilica over there on his knees, trying to inflict his body with pain so that God would see that and, and it would atone for his sins. And suddenly, it came to his mind from the Old Testament where it said that the just shall live by faith. And Luther said, if the just will live by faith, what in the world am I doing trying to punish my body to atone for my sins? This is crazy. And Luther got up from there, and the Protestant Reformation was on. And the gospel of Christ, the simple gospel that salvation is by grace through faith, was preached again in the pulpits across the world and is still being preached. But, but Luther was trying to atone for the sins that he had committed in the past. And you can't do that. Don't even try to do that. Jesus didn't say, do penance and believe the gospel when he came preaching. Paul didn't say, God commandeth all men everywhere to do penance. No, he said to change your mind. Change your mind about your sin, about yourself, and about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And the third thing people confuse repentance with is reformation. They, you'll hear somebody say, I've got to clean up my act. Boy, I got to quit using drugs. I got to quit using so much alcohol. I got to quit, you know, I got to quit being unfaithful and immoral with my lifestyle. Or I've got to start going to church. I don't know how many people I've had tell me in the last year. I know, I know, I know, preacher. I got to go, I got to start going to church. Listen, honey, your problem ain't church. Your problem is a lot deeper than that. The problem there is a change of attitude toward sin and self and the Savior who can save you, you see. Lastly, don't confuse repentance with the gospel. Repentance is not the gospel. 
And I want to make that so very, very clear to everybody. Let's go back to Mark 1 and 15 where Jesus came beginning his ministry. And it says that Jesus came preaching, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. He separates them, you see. The gospel is very clearly that Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he arose again on the third day. That's the gospel. That's all there is to the gospel. There'll never be any more to it. That's what Christ did. But before you can savingly believe that, to believe that in a way that will bring eternal life to your soul, you have to deal with your own sin issue, with your own heart. You have to believe with your attitude toward God, self, sin, and the cross. Dr. Ironside, the great Bible expositor, said one time, and I read to you his words, the very first evidence of God's awakening grace in a person's heart is dissatisfaction with their own self and their self-efforts and a longing for deliverance from the chains of sin that have bound their soul. If you look with me real quickly in the book of Matthew, chapter 21, I want to show you just a verse or two, and then I'll give the invitation. Matthew chapter 21 and verse number, uh, let's see, verse 31. Whether of these two brothers, one had said he would go and serve his father, the other one said he wouldn't, which of them did the will of the Father? They said unto him the first. Jesus said unto them, I say unto you, now listen to this, the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, underline this in your Bible, you repented not afterward that you might believe. Repentance comes first. Repentance comes first. And what am I explaining this morning and trying to say and reason with you about is because in evangelical Christianity in America for the last 75 or 100 years, boy, we've, we've practiced this easy believism. You don't really have to deal with sin. There's not got to be a lot of conviction or contrition. Just walk down the aisle of the church or just pray and just pray a prayer. And people do it with a smile on their face. People do it and they act like, well, it's, you know, you got to do that. I, I got to go forward. I got to do whatever. And I want you today, I want you to just back up in your thinking. And I want you to understand the seriousness of your sin, my sin, of all sin. And I want you to step back and look down inside your heart and ask yourself, have I ever repented? Or do I just have this intellectual assent? I just agree to some facts. But you know, Pastor, my life is so empty. There's nothing really. In, I mean, religion to me is a bore. I just do it because it's a duty. 
Or do you, have you come to a point where you say, man, I am so in need of Jesus Christ. And then you hear the story that he shed his blood on the cross and blotted out your sin if you will come to him and put your trust in him. Oh, what a difference that makes. Man, if the evangelical world believed that today, really believe that, this country would not be falling apart. This country would be in the heat of a revival. Righteousness would flow over this land like the waters cover the sea. And we look at people, we can't even tell if they're Christians or not. They proclaim it, they're church members. But in reality, their lives are empty, really spiritually empty. Have you ever repented of your sins? Jesus here is talking about when the gospel was preached, the harlots, the immoral, the publicans, the cheaters in the business world, the sinners, the Zacchaeuses, the woman at the well, those people heard about Christ and because they recognized their need, they immediately grabbed onto the gospel of Christ. But the Pharisees, the churchgoers, the religious, the moral, yeah, 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 I believe that. Oh, yeah, I know. He died for me. What's the big deal? And they never did really accept him. The question today for all of us have you repented? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.